0: Welcome to Level Up Academy, the podcast that's dedicated to the higher education community that brings you countless stories of employees, students, and faculty's journey in this remote world we live in. We are expanding our podcast to business leaders and community experts who are sharing their adversity that each one of us experience and share their story to inspire and inform our world. This is your host, Dr. Leland, a serial educator an opportunities designer, and a compassionate leader. Hello, Level Up listeners. This is your host, Dr. Leland from Level Up. Today, I have a special leader conversation with Michelle Thompson. Michelle, go ahead and introduce yourself to our listeners.
1: Hi, well thank you for having me. I um gosh, where do I start? I, I have the gift of gab. I will say that right up front. So if you if you give me too much space, I'll, I'll talk your ear off all day long. But so I'm a registered nurse. Uh, that's how I kind of primarily identify myself. I'm also a wife and a stepmom to two amazing grown adults and a dog mama. And I started my own consulting business. Uh, in 2017. And so I'm a leadership development coach and consultant. And I primarily work uh, in the healthcare sector because that's the place that I most resonate with and understand the best in terms of how I can offer support.
0: Awesome. So that's just an amazing background. And I'm glad that you're there because we need it for sure. But I wanted to get the messy side of how you got here today. Like what kind of adversity did you go through and said, you know what? I'm going to be doing this to help others.
1: Yeah, well, again, stop me if if I go on for too long. But I, and not because I like to talk about myself, but I'll be honest with you, and I I never really thought of myself as having a story. And I really reframed that and and acknowledged that I've been on quite a journey. And and I don't mind telling people that if, if it's going to land in a way that will help people see that we're really more alike than we are different most of the time. I was born in a small uh, town in uh, Ontario, I'm from Canada, and to a single mom, and I'm an only child, and my mom was, we didn't have a lot of money, in fact, we grew up in a low income part of the city, and I never knew we were poor growing up, I really had no idea, my mom had a very strong pride of home, she saved up for the best that she could afford, and then took you know, incredible care for it. And, and our house was impeccable. We lived in a four unit. And uh, I think I was at probably about eight or nine before I realized that we actually were poor because we were getting hampers at Christmas time. And I just thought Santa brought those to everybody because everybody in our neighborhood got them. And it wasn't until I was, you know, a little bit older than that when I realized that everybody doesn't get those hampers. And that we got them because, you know, we were in an economic portfolio that, that allowed us to qualify for that. So I always say that feeling rich or poor is really a mindset because it's not about the things that you have. And I like to tell that to, to parents that I talk to on podcasts, even though I talk mostly about leadership because we're all leaders in all aspects of our life is that it's not about the stock you give your kids, it's the experiences you create with your kids. Because I never knew we didn't have anything. I thought we had everything. So I tell people that because my mom had to work really hard. And she was did not like the fact that people would say to her, oh, she's you know Michelle's so mature for her age. And I know my mom carried a lot of guilt with that. She's like, I don't want her to be mature, I just want her to be a kid. Now... To to be fair to my mom, I am a kid who loves rules. I love structure. I always have. So I think as a single parent, that was a bit of a good thing for her that I was not a wild child and kind of straying. I really loved school and structure and learning. So, you know, that also just kind of was right in my wheelhouse. But my mom was a lab technician in the hospital. My, I was very close to my grandmother when she was alive. And so she would often pick me up from school if my mom was working and would take me sometimes to the hospital after school. And, I mean, things were so different in the 80s that I could, you know, they had a little desk in the back, and I could go and do my homework while well, I waited for my mom to get off work, usually five or six. And if I got all my homework done as a reward, my mom would often take me up to the maternal newborn floor, and, I, and all of her friends were nurses, and I would get to hold the babies. And this wasn't something that was done, like, kind of on the down, but it was very open. I mean, you could never do that now, but at the time, it was just, it was a thing that you could do, and and I would go, and I would very gently fold these babies and look at them and be like, oh, and these nurses, I just thought that they were angels. Like, I literally would look at them and be like, I don't know where you came from, but I want to be just like you. This is what I want to do. And in that moment, I think my 8-year-old self was really like, I just want to hold babies all day. I didn't really realize that there's a lot of work behind <laughs> being a nurse. But that's really, I think, what started the spark. If I go back and I think about, like, when did you know you wanted to be in a helping profession and help people? That's really, I think, the impetus. And, and I never wavered from that. So all through high school, I felt very fortunate because I knew I was going to go into nursing school when my friends really struggled trying to figure out what they wanted to do with their lives. I went into nursing school, and sadly, I hated every moment of it. I hated the theory. I was always good at school, and my first exam in nursing school was on oxygen, and you would think, like, how hard is that? You breathe it every day. Well, it's hard, and I failed, I, and I didn't just fail a little bit. I bombed it. Like, I got, like, 30-some percent, and that was my first awakening. Like, this isn't going to be a cakewalk. You're going to have to work really hard for this which was also a blessing in disguise because at the end of just before I graduated, they put you through this perceptorship portion where you basically just work full-time and you're assigned to a nurse. And I wanted to go to long-term care, the field that I am, geriatrics, the field that I'm working in now, because at that time you were only placed in the hospital. You weren't placed in long-term care homes. And so there wasn't really a lot you were doing for the seniors in hospital. They were waiting to go to a care home. And I thought, well, this would be perfect. I can study for my exams while not having a lot to do in nursing school. And and I ended up being placed in ICU. And ICU was one of those units at the end of your program, at least for my program, was that you either went to ICU because you were at the bottom of the pack and they knew that would be the thing that would break you and you wouldn't graduate, or because you were doing really, really well. And they knew that you needed just that extra push to kind of get you through and give you that motivation. You were doing a great job. And I didn't want to know what group I fell into, and to this day, I still don't know. <laughs> uh, but, I'm, but I know my preceptor was, was challenging, and she was, I mean, at the time, I thought she was actually quite mean and unkind. And I think that, you know, when you're young, you don't often see the opportunities that have been presented to learn. And so I just thought she was mean, and, and, and two weeks before I was getting ready to graduate, I was going to quit and i woke up one morning and i said to my mom i'm not going in and and i always joke i say to my mom and she she still does this she has this look that she can give you and any of the moms out there might who've used it might know that just shuts it down like she went i'm 51 i just turned 51 and if she gives me that look even now i'm like you win like
0: i, <laughs> I have that look for my kids i don't even have to say i'm like and then you're like, okay, that's fine, I'm going. Thing. Every
1: yeah. person who has it knows it. And if you've had it, if you've seen the look, you know what I'm talking about. So she gave me that look. She's like, oh, no, get out of bed. Like, this is not an option. We are not discussing this. And, and again, I grew up in a generation where parents did not explain to you, like, no man, no. And that was the end of it. Like, there was no, and I'm not saying that's necessarily the best parenting style, but, my mom really reverted back to me being like, you know, six or seven, and she's like, "Get out of bed. We're not having a conversation about this. Get up and get your uniform on. You're going and you're finishing." So, thankfully for her, I did finish the program, and and I loved nursing after that, and I loved my career. And you know, I worked as a palliative nurse uh, for many years, and and loved that. Even though a lot of people find that hard to believe, because you're around death and dying a lot. And I always just found myself working with seniors. And so I got my national certification in gerontology in 2007, I believe, and have just always really been working with seniors for most of my my nursing career. And in 2017, I decided that I was going to take a little break from it. And when I was leaving, a group of physicians that I had been working with said, well, we wish we would have known you were leaving. We would have hired you. And I said, well, that's kind but you know it probably would have been unethical (laughs) but a few months later i got a phone call from them and they said hey listen we got some government funding to start a project where we would like to teach other long-term care homes basically what you were doing in your home you had the best outcomes that everybody out of everybody what they were trying to do is prevent unnecessary or inappropriate transfers from long-term care homes into the acute care sector. So meaning we just wanted to try to avoid transferring seniors uh, who would end up in emergency and sit there for hours and hours and not always get the care they needed. Uh, And a lot of that was happening just because the homes were ill-equipped to have nurses that were thinking critically and didn't have processes in place. So they said, well, we want you to create the curriculum and then just deliver it. Can you do that? And I thought, yeah, I guess I can do that. I've never done it before. And my husband is very much an entrepreneur and he immediately said to me, you need to start your own business. So that sort of started me on that journey and it really was always intended to be a side hustle. It was never, as a nurse, I just thought, I'm, I'm a nurse, that's, I'm, I'm going to always work for somebody else caring for people. I never really saw that as something I would do. And about four years ago, I really started to have a shift and I don't know if that's just age or, you know, a combination of that and wisdom and being open to new perspectives in life. But I really started to shift and think, well, why? Why does it have to be that way? And, you know, I think it's funny that it came on just before a global pandemic when we've seen the most trauma that we've probably ever seen in a bro- already broken healthcare system. And mm-hmm. it's not just candidates around no. the world. Yeah. And the problems we had existed long before COVID happened. It's just exacerbated all of those problems. Yep. And really at the crux, I realized that my business was never about policies and procedures and creating curriculum development. I thought I would love that, and I didn't when I was doing it. I loved the client, but I didn't love the work. And I had to go back to a story that happened at the very beginning of my nursing career when I moved across country to take a job here in British Columbia, which brought me to this beautiful province in 2006 to work for a long-term care company. And I had been through multiple interviews and was under the assumption that this long-term care home was running quite well. And when I started, things were great for the first couple of months. I was doing everything that I had been told to do as a leader. Engage your staff, have parties, you know, order pizzas, give them autonomy, try to engage them in decision-making. And three months in, I came to work one day, and my admin coordinator said, licensing is coming in. And I said, that's fine. Here in Canada, it's not uncommon for them to do impromptu inspections in your home to make sure you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. And she said, no, you don't understand, Michelle. They're coming to investigate you. Wow. A nurse here has uh, accused you of covering up the death of a resident. (gasps) And I literally, in that moment, felt (sighs) the blood drain from my body. And it wasn't because I knew it was true. It's because I knew it wasn't true. But I hadn't been working in that organization long enough that I felt, what if senior leaders think this is true? And it was totally against anything I had ever stood for. And um, I went through a two-day investigation only to find out that, in fact, obviously it was not true at all. And when they confronted the nurse, she said, well, we thought that if we could get her fired, everything would go back to the way that it was. (gasps) And it was in that moment that I found out that I was either the sixth or seventh general manager of six or seven in, like, that same period. So basically every year they were burning through a new general manager, and that had not been disclosed to me. And it was really in that moment that I realized that not only had I been set up for failure, but I was so ill-equipped to manage a dysfunctional and toxic work environment. And I had no idea what I was doing. So I started having panic attacks every day coming to work. Wow. And I realized really quickly I had two choices. I could either quit my job and go get work someplace else, which would have been easy for me to do. Or I could really sit in it and sit through the garbage and try to figure it out and hopefully come out, better and more knowledgeable on the other side and it would help my career. And because I'm a Leo, I'm super stubborn, which I say I always <laughs> because I come by it honestly. <laughs> yeah. I decided to dig my heels in and say, no, I'm this is not going to break me. I'm, I'm digging in on this. And so my journey of, you know, over 16 years of trying to figure out leadership has evolved me to where I am now in that I want to change the that we look at leadership because I believe that we've made it far more complicated than it needs to be. There's so many books out there that tell you that if you just acquire certain attributes, you will become a better leader. And, mm-hmm. and, and I have bookshelves full of them. And I'm not saying they don't have a place. I've yeah. read them all. But I also want leaders to know that when you show up as yourself, you already have everything you need leadership is an exchange of energy between two people, full stop. Whatever I bring to the table is going to get reciprocated on the other side. And so I just, I want to create organizations that are valuing their people over their bottom lines. And it's not, it's not an either or, it's an and.
0: Mm. What traits and skills do you feel are like the most important to becoming a leader? Like you have this gut feeling like I am definitely a leader, but you kind of still have that self-doubt like at what point do you say, you know, these are the traits and skills that I feel the most important to becoming that perfect leader in your eyes?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, I definitely think that there's some that are, you know, no, no brainers in terms of showing up with humility and integrity and being able to see. I think the biggest one is, and this is what I teach, is that it's helping people see that their lived experience shapes the world that they see. And so when you understand that the perspective of the world that you carry is different than others because of your lived experience, it allows you to get really curious with other people who have lived a life very different than yours and have empathy and curiosity to try to find the commonalities and not just notice the differences. And that's where I think there's an exceptional leader because when you lean into that, now you're asking really curious questions. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're, you're exploring that in a place of like, okay, like I see how this can benefit me and you, but I'm coming at this with nothing other than I just want to understand your situation better. And so how you do that doesn't matter. And that's why I say to leaders that it feels authentic in the way that I teach it because it is you. I'm not teaching you if you follow A, B, C, and D. There's five or six things that I say that if you do every day will start to change the culture in your organization because I think sometimes people just need tangible It's like, give me something I can do every day. Like forget I don't want to read a book, and I don't want you to tell me I'm an authentic leader. I don't even know what that means. Give me something I need to do. And so I do that for those people who need that. But I also just think that if you show up as you are, and you have the curiosity to recognize that when you ask questions from a place of humility and curiosity, other people are going to reciprocate that. So, you know, I think the other piece in that is really, which is more individual- One of the first exercises I take leaders on is to understand what their core values are. Mm -hmm. And it was shocking to me when I first started doing this work how many people don't know what their core values are. And I don't say that with judgment. It was really just alarming to me that people don't know. And so when you don't know what your core values are, it's hard to make decisions as a leader. Mm -hmm. Because you feel like you're all over the place. Mm -hmm. But when you get crystal clear on that North Star are those three or four things that are unwavering that no matter what you don't waver from that it can make decision making far easier and less complicated uh and, and not feeling like you have to own it all because you know that what you're doing isn't about you it's like telling your ego to shut up and get out of the way it's about what you know is the best and the right thing to do for the organization for your people um it has nothing to do with you so i i don't know if that answers your question but um you know, yeah i was just trying you.
0: to see like skills i i've talked to a lot of business leaders have led companies in 65 billion dollar companies and things like that but I feel like the whole theme, right? It's more of like people I've seen it and I've heard it so many times, like you said, even on podcasts and YouTube and, and on your people and zoom, like be your authentic self. I'm like, okay, well, what if you're having a bad day that day and you're being your authentic self? That's not going to work. So I think definitely, I don't know about you and your clients or you've experienced in the past, but I feel like some leaders or the title of being a leader is that they got into that leadership role, not because they are the qualified one. They got into that role because either they know somebody or they apply and they have maybe 30% of the the checklist of you could lead people, you've managed people, you've done this. But I think most, if not 70 to 80% of leaders, and I'm just grasping for numbers because I've, this is like in my head that I've been exposed to other leaders is that, they don't even know themselves just like you said right and so I feel like the loss on leadership is knowing yourself first before you lead others Mm -hmm. and without the proper training and like what does that mean knowing myself know your learning style right Know your conflict management. Know your personality. Like you mentioned, I'm a Leo. I'm a stubborn. I'm like, yeah, I'm a Cancer. I like to talk a lot, and I'm also stubborn. Maybe it's an only child thing. I don't know because I'm an only child too. Like, and sometimes my kids, I I kid around, right? They they're like eating something. They're like, mom, can I have some? I'm like, do you not remember? I'm an only child. I don't like sharing, you know. And they start laughing. Yeah, it's and in college, you know, I worked like literally hard because I didn't want to have a roommate. I had a bad experience one time when my friend came over and literally just used up everything I have without asking. I'm like, see, I can't handle that. I don't have 15, 16 brothers and sisters like my, my father had 16 brothers and sisters. I don't have that. Right. And if like you touch my stuff, I get panicky. Like, okay, I can't touch that anymore. It's in my head. I know. But that's how I grew up. So I feel like leaders need to know themselves first before they lead others. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. So, you know, a couple things that were coming up for me while I was listening to you talk is, and because I, I so appreciate this question and your perspective is this, is that, yes, you have to know yourself first. I mean, really understanding the internal workings is important. I think mean, the other piece is understanding how we are all hardwired to connect. So it's really understanding the basics of human connection. That's important. If you don't understand you know, how, why and how oxytocin is released and dopamine hits and what that does and how that creates connection and trust and community building, it can make leadership feel like it's just like you're a robot and you're just going through the motions, which then makes it not feel authentic. You just feel like you're going through a process, and when it doesn't work, you're like, oh, I'm doing something wrong, and you, and then it's just easy to revert back to kind of old practices. And I think the other piece from an organizational is that organizations have done exactly, it's been my experience that they've done exactly what you have described in that, and this is what happened to me. So I was hired in that position I described earlier because I had the core competencies to do the job. They knew that I could meet targets, I could meet bottom lines. I had some of the best employee um, and, or sorry, family and resident engagement surveys and, and, so they knew that I would be good for the job. And and I think unlike a lot of other organizations, they just thought I would figure the leadership piece out. Who wants leadership? Like figure it out. It's just, you know, and, and I and I think sometimes those are organizations that that see their employees in a way that it's not an equal. So by coming by becoming an employee, you owe me something. I'm paying you for you to do a service, which means that now If you don't do what I want, it now becomes this, like, issue of we're not the same playing field. And so if things aren't going in my favor as a leader, I can always pull that that piece out and say, no, now I'm telling you to do it because I'm your boss, and you're going to do it because I'm paying you money to do it. And these are some of the, I think, dynamics that we get into with leadership where it makes things really complicated because that's just not, excuse me, that's not the way that people want to be treated, and that's not the way that, most of us would treat people close to us outside of the workplace. But for some reason, when we get into the proverbial boardroom, we do that. And I find that that transcends even sometimes when we think of ourselves as leaders in other aspects of our life. So as a parent, you know, I've not birthed a child, but I am a, I, a stepmom to two amazing human beings. And, and I was never really the decision maker in the relationship because that was just, what we agreed to do as part of the dynamic in our family, but I definitely was there to ha- kind of help shape and guide and support. And there would be times when I would just be like, "Oh my God, no!" Like I, you, you sort of try to pull out that that tactic of like, "I'm the parent, and I'm telling you, no means no." And so, I mean, I think that shows up outside of the boardroom as well, and we just really need to like learn. How, how and why that's coming up, it's because I'm frustrated. And I think to your point of, you know, I got here because I have all of the attributes to do the job, or maybe I was just in the right place at the right time, and I think I need to know everything. One of the biggest struggles that I see from emerging leaders is that they have this idea that they have to know everything. They have to have all the answers. And so what ends up happening is that they end up not being authentic in the workplace because when they're posed with a question they don't know the answer to. They don't know that they can lean into that and say, that's a great question, I actually don't have the answer to that. But let's go figure it out together. Because they think that that's weak leadership because that's what they've been told. And I'm trying to rewire that and say, that's actually extraordinary leadership because not only does that show vulnerability, But it also says, hey, let's go learn this together and and, and I'll take you on the ride for this. And that person now says, that was probably really hard for her to admit that she didn't know that. The fact that she wants to bring me in and we're going to learn together and this is going to be a collaboration, I actually have a stronger feeling of trust and connection to that person now Because I felt like they were being a real honest person. They weren't giving me some garbage response to get me out of their office.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Or because they didn't know and they were afraid to tell me that. And now I feel completely dismissed and devalued.
0: Yeah. I think we have to rewire the whole social conditioning, though. Because we are always conditioned. Like, I don't know about you, but I know that most of my colleagues, right, when I was a dean, they they feel this pressure, like, you have to be perfect or you're going to get your contracts canceled. Like, why is that? And and I've seen leaders who actually like saying, OK, if you make this mistake, then we're going to write you up. Literally. And it's like, how do you expect people to actually do well in your in your organization? Because they they're not going to innovate because innovation creates a lot of failures. I'm sorry. It is it's not one size fits all, right? That's why you have lots of different wrenches and lots of different nails and lots of different things for makeup because it doesn't fit on everything that you do. You have a concealer, you have this, right? Same thing for leaders. You can't just be like one size fits all because it depends on the organization. It depends on what you're doing. It depends on what department you're doing. So I think for me, it's the social conditioning that I have to rewire that it's okay to make mistakes, but make sure you have at least three different solutions we can test that way we can figure it out together. And I think it's that I have to be perfect. It's so much pressure for some leaders and some leaders yeah. want to just have that like, I'm the best leader. So, you know, and for me, it's like, guys, we're going to sink this ship together. Let's do it. You know, um, because you're going to make mistakes. And that's part of life. And that's part of organizations. But how you get up together in that mistakes makes a huge difference. What are your thoughts on that?
1: I completely agree with you. Absolutely agree with you. And you know, it's funny, because I came to that um, about two years ago, at kind of the height of the pandemic, I started teaching about self care, not being selfish to healthcare providers. And I know, like, don't come at me. That sounds so kitschy. And I actually hate the word self care. Like, I actually cringe when I say the word self care now. And if I use it, which I still do, I have to describe to people what self care actually is because it's not a half day at a, at a massage parlor. Like, that's not. That's not Michelle. Self-care. Why not?
0: That
1: can be a component of it, but that's not really what it is, right? And so, so when I was teaching about this to healthcare providers, I could just see that they were struggling so much with trying to find time and, and all of the things to be able to do this without guilt. And I realized that I was actually setting them up for failure because I overlooked the fact that, uh, so leaders, but also just you know nurses, any healthcare provider, anyone who is in a, a, a profession of serving, it doesn't matter who you are, even if you're a parent. Like it, I'm not saying you have to be in a formal environment, Often, people in those professions struggle with a combination of people-pleasing, perfectionism, having a hard time setting boundaries, and because of that, often don't know the value of their worth and don't feel that they have a voice. And so when I looked at that, I'm like, well, how am I supposed to get them to find time for themselves if they're so busy playing in the space of being a people-pleaser and trying to aim for perfection? and they can't set a boundary. And then they don't even think that they have value in work. So I kind of you know, put it on, on like Maslow's hierarchy, where I put those pieces at that core bottom piece, like food, water, shelter, air. Those are core needs that we have. We have to address those issues before we can help someone get to that top, which is the piece of self-actualization, or in this case, it was self-care. Those pieces have to get dealt with. And so it's, it was really breaking down some of those pieces for people to see that, you know, it, like with boundaries, it's, you know, when you learn to say no to people, you're actually inviting more into your life of things that you want to do. And it's so a lot of it is mindset work. It's that, sh- it's just a subtle shift, it's not a huge epiphany. One of the first things I get people to do with, with, with perfectionism challenges, and I, and I did this in, in my leadership um, program like a month ago. And two girls started crying within the first 10 minutes of doing this was I asked them, if I didn't have to be perfect, I would be. And then we journaled about it. And the tears came. And I so when I asked them later, I said, if you're comfortable with sharing, tell me where the tears came from. And they said, because no one's ever given me the permission before to think about who I would be if I wasn't striving to be perfect.
0: Yeah, it's very hard. And and I had to actually I have a lot of those issues at the very beginning, because I'm a people pleaser. I didn't grow up with parents. I actually thought when I was young that if I'm number one out of 2000 kids in my school, my parents would come back and be there for me. And literally from The time I can remember, I'm always number one. I don't care how many people that I have to go through. I will be number one tomorrow. Not today because I'm working on it, but tomorrow I will be. And I had that mentality for so long. And, you know, I came to this country. I didn't know how to speak English. I came to America when I was 13. Don't know how to speak English. Did English in three months instead of three years. Then got racism flat in my face. I didn't know what that was either until my parents are like, we need a lawyer for that. And now that i have two kids i have an 18 year old and a 15 year old and i have to back up a little bit because my youngest is already kind of comparing my oldest like when mom was 17 she already had a 30 hour job a week and you know because i always said i'm like i couldn't speak english when i came to this country what is your excuse that you can't do your homework right now You know what I mean? Like that mentality. She's like, well, see, all I hear is this. No, 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 no. It's prioritizing. Right. And I told him, and now that she's 18, I think she's feeling that much pressure. I'm like, okay, mom, you need to back up a little bit, you know, just back up because mental health issue is real and people are made up differently. And I, you know, even though she's my child, she came out of me and I birthed this child right now. She's different. She's her own person. And I also have issues with boundaries with saying no, I used to belong to way too many groups and I think it's that it's that need of belonging because I felt like growing up I never belonged anywhere like yes I'm Asian and you think you know I grew up culturally Asian but I grew up most of my life here in the U.S. so I'm having a crisis of identity (laughs) like okay am I American yes I'm American citizen but like am I Asian I don't know and then when I go to the Asian community you're like no you're American and you're in America with my American friends, like, no, you're Asian. I'm like, you know what, forget it. I'm going to just me, me. I'm CJ. Who cares? You love me. You hate me. I don't care at this point anymore. But saying no was so hard for me. And I think it's because of that. In my head, it's still that little girl waiting for her parents to come back and, and say, yes, we're here. It's that sense of rejection. So it's always in my head. And I always tell my mom, I'm like, Oh, why did you do this? You know, and you can't go back. And so I think as a leader, I always try to say, okay, you have to teach some of these peoples what boundary means. Like if I give you a project and you're like, I don't have time right now. Can can you, you know, be able to feel comfortable and speak up to me that I don't know your load, so you got to tell me what's going on, right? But for you, it's so inspirational that you're actually teaching other leaders how to think for themselves, but. What do you think leaders can do to promote success in themselves and in their teams, especially if they already are in that leadership where they feel like their team is already there, but it's that complacency hits, like no one's moving forward. We're just stuck. What kind of things that you would say to a business leader, like, hey, how do you, you know, promote success in your teams? Yeah, so there's
1: there's a couple of things I can think of. But first, I just wanted to back up if I could and just say, Thank you for sharing your story, and, and I I, feel, I just feel a lot of um, compassion for that little girl right now, so I just wanted to acknowledge that, so thank you for sharing. You know, I think that I when you were talking, I had Brene Brown running in my head, and I was sort of telling her to shut up so I could pay attention to what you were saying, and I remember when she uh, was talking about the research she's done on belonging, and when you were talking about, you know, kind of that digital hoarding where you're, you're just trying to get so much information because you're trying to find a community and a place where you belong. And she, in her research, she acknowledged that uh, most people will define belonging as trying to fit in. When you're trying to belong, you're just trying to fit in. You're trying to find a group of people where you fit and, and you, you look like everybody else. And she said, "Really, though, the research showed that it has nothing to do with fitting in. It's really about coming home to yourself. And belonging is having to do that hard, really, that hard work to just look at yourself for who you are, and and being able to accept those parts so that you're, you know, you're you're belonging to your to yourself. Because otherwise, you're really just, I think, a shell of who you think you are, mm-hmm. and trying to see if you could fit a square peg into a round hole. that you're just like." throwing darts at the wall, like, do I fit here, do I fit here, you're just trying to see, like, where it works, really, I think it's about getting quiet with yourself, and coming home to yourself, so there was just that, so, I mean, there's a couple of things that I tell leaders to do every single day, which, and again, these are are the action items that I think people need, because sometimes they're not sure, I heard a quote a few years ago at a conference that I was attending, and it really... It's you know what sometimes something resonates with you but you don't know why and but it kind of stuck and I didn't even write it down and but it never kind of left my brain and now it's like I find like I'm bringing it up all the time and I actually have worked it into an exercise that they do sometimes with organizations that that are struggling with trust and and uh, culture creating like a strong trusting culture in their workplace and so the quote I believe is by Gunter and Whitaker and it is that the uh, the culture of an organization is shaped by the worst behavior it's willing to tolerate. And so for me, what that means is is that I think that sometimes we create a, a culture statement. You know, we will be this, and, and yet we're not living it. We're doing everything but that. And it, not, it doesn't become believable. Staff don't buy into it. Employees don't buy into it because they don't see it's being lived. So what I try to do is actually... you know people within a team sit down and say okay let's reverse engineer this what's the what what can we all agree is the worst behavior we're willing to tolerate so if they say well I'm not willing we're not going to scream at each other okay so then can we agree that a shared core value would be that we're going to talk to each other with respect yeah we can all agree to that so from, you know, working from it from the worst possible perspective, we work backwards to create three, four, five things maximum that they can agree are the way that we're going to show up and hold space for each other. And then we hold each other accountable to do that. So that's kind of one of the exercises that I do. But then, you know, the five things that I encourage people to do every single day, and you don't, if you're, if you're in, not in a leadership role, you can still do these things in your normal life. So the first thing I tell people is, get out of your office every day and go to where your people are. You need to be making connections with people. Sitting in your office doesn't build trust, it doesn't build connection. If you walk in a room and people who you meet look terrified to see you, and this could mean if you're a parent and it's your children, and they look terrified to see you or not happy to see you, that's your first sign you're doing something wrong. They should look super happy to see you because they know if you're there, you're gonna be giving them encouragement, you're there for support, um, you know, you're, you're there to collaborate with. So that's the first one. The second one, I think, is to develop a, you know, a more of a, a, a growth mindset. So looking at opportunities. So if somebody makes a mistake, if it's not catastrophic, then you look at it as an opportunity. Uh, how, how can we learn from this? So that people recognize that opportunities can come from things that, you know, maybe in the past we've seen as negative and, and to, to, to kind of start in that place. I've already talked about this one. This is really asking questions and then shutting your mouth and listening. And that's, I think, the second part of that is the most important. I think a lot of the times we, when when we talk to people, particularly when we're talking in uh, about uncomfortable topics or things that are that we feel are pushing our outer limits, is that we try we talk we over talk because we want to fill in all the space. We don't want there to just be silence because that just feels too awkward. And I'm here to tell you that you can handle the tension. Like, you'll live. You'll survive it. So you need to just be, the next time it happens, pretend that you heard this podcast and hear my voice and just to say, (laughs) just stop talking. And things, you'll be surprised what comes of that because I think sometimes people just need to, you know, they need to process. They need to think about things a little bit. The biggest one that I learned is, And this is a fairly recent one that I tell people to do is to practice humility. And so for me, humility isn't about putting myself in a lower position than someone else. What it is, is when I am showing up as humble, I am giving off the energy that the person who is on the receiving end of that knows that I am there for no other reason other than to understand your perspective. And I'm not there to push my perspective or my views on you. I am there with nothing to gain other than to understand where you're coming from. For me, that's humility. And that comes from my privilege of working with First Nations here in Canada and learning that from some of the elders that, uh, you know, you can, you can, if you're always showing up with humility, you can never do something wrong. And then I think the last one is really just something I've always lived by, which is do something kind for someone every day. And, you know, I, I actually think it was Dr. Phil, and I'm not even a huge fan of I,
0: I think it is. I, I've heard that before, so too. He said
1: that to, I heard him say that one time where he's like, give away what you need the most. And I'm like, that's probably the most genius thing I've ever heard come out of your mouth. <laughs> um, and, and I really think that that's true. So... You know, that's the one, and, and I've added one new one, because I've been seeing this and hearing this a lot from people, and so what, I, what I'm asking people to do as well is to stop playing the if-only game. I call it the if-only game. You know, if only I had more time, if only I had more sleep, if only I had more money, if only I had more resources, um, if only I had, you know, an extra week of vacation. It, if it, you need to turn that around, um, because, the if only's will never change anything. If you sit in a place of if only that's such a place of scarcity, that mindset will never get you to a place of I am becoming or when I, as opposed to if only, right? Like it's just, it's just a healthy thing sitting in. So that's the last one that I
0: that's so cool because that actually is one of the class that um it's called Managing Your Boss. I'm putting in a class and I just it's on beta, it's done, and I'm doing my last touches before I put it in there and that is words like the growth mindset and you have to practice it every day until it becomes a habit forming where it's second nature. And I always tell them anything that you do today, right? Anything that you do today, do practice only three big things for the days. So that way, or prioritize only three big things, little things you can still do like laundry and walk your dogs, but three big things that you feel accomplished more than that's going to overwhelm you, right? Because work is always going to be there no matter what. But at the same time, you have to have three priorities a day. And then I always tell them, okay, at the end of the day, are you working, you know, towards your potential? Or are you working towards your limitations? Right? What are you doing today? Now, for the last question I have, I actually watched this interview with his Holiness the Dalai Lama, he said, change begins within you. Use compassion to change your, your world and ultimately our world. So my question to you is, how do you hope to change the world, Michelle?
1: Gosh, I feel like I'm having an existential moment now. Like, How do I want to change the world? I, there's so many things that I want to do and I know I will do in terms of if you were to ask me the thing that i would be most you know most proud of outside of helping to raise you know two human beings is really i think creating uh, making a dent in the way that we look at leadership so that the next generations don't have to work so hard and that they can see that the, the path uh, to a new way is available for them you know, I think about being a disruptor, and I've always thought of being a disruptor as really negative, and i realized that there's lots of articles about this, that some of the biggest disruptors in, in the business sector have been the people that have created the most good in the world, and they just, they knew something in their soul to be, that they could do it better or different, and didn't let anyone get in the way of that, and yet they were seen as like, well, this is stupid, or you can't do that, or this is No, it's going to turn the whole everything on edge. And they're just like, no, I'm doing it. Like, I'm doing it. Get out of my way. Stop talking to me if you're not going to get on board. This is happening. And I feel like I'm kind of on that mission of right now the type of leadership that I'm proposing is still being really seen as soft and not productive. And you can't do this. It won't work. Even though we're at a time coming out of this pandemic where people are more than ever saying, I'm not going to tolerate working in a toxic and dysfunctional workplace anymore. Mm -hmm. I'm not trading time for money anymore. I'm not going to give up my life to go work for an employer who doesn't care about me and can replace me tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Maybe not now. (laughs) People are just not willing to do that. And yet many organizations have this disconnect that to, to be innovative and to be a disruptor And to be a force, to be reckoned, to be the employer of choice, they have to look at how do we do things differently. Mm -hmm. And so I believe that small shifts make big impacts. Mm -hmm. So if my contribution can make the first small shift, that two-degree shift to turn that ship in the middle of the ocean two degrees that's going to end up in a completely different spot in six or seven years down the road for that generation of leaders then I'm happy to do my part now because I know that it's going to take us a while to get that huge cruise liner to start to move in a different direction and it's not going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. So, again, patience is not a virtue that comes kindly to me. I have to practice it because I am stubborn and I want everything yesterday, but I am learning that it, it is is going to be a slow process and so that is the reason I adopted the word surrender as my word for 2022. And again, I I always saw surrender as this, you know, with this negative idea of giving up, you know, like you, you know, it kind of, I've always been an achiever. And that surrender to me was like, oh, you're just giving up, you're surrendering to things. And what I realized in doing the work that I've been doing, my clients have taught me so much that surrendering for me really is just learning to say no to the things that aren't serving me mm-hmm. so that I can have space for the things that that I, that I know are not only going to fill me up, but I might have missed and not even acknowledged because I was too busy in serving all the things that weren't going to give me any joy or outcome, that I would have missed all of those other opportunities. And so for me, surrendering is is also just recognizing I don't have to be in control of everything all the time. It, that's the perfectionist piece of me. I don't have to be in control of everything. And sometimes it's actually a good thing when I'm not, uh, because I find that I'm more creative, I'm more playful, uh, I can have fun with things, and, and you know, I hope that other people feel that same way too when they think about that word.
0: Mm, I like that you're intentional in your impact. And like I said, I think it does come with age. It's wisdom. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not doing the hustle that you want me to be or what you want. I'm doing it for me. And I think that's what I've been slow. Like, I, use, I I do adjuncts and I also f- do full-time teaching for four different universities. And I quit the other two already because I'm like, I want to create this business to move forward because I see the impact. And what we're talking right now, we have 30 nations listening to us so at least one or two of those nations listeners hopefully are business leaders and said okay i need to shift and make a difference and be intentional on how i lead others and that's what i i want to do it's because i know that my kids are the future and i'm trying to lay out my community where they can be better than us today Um, so thank you for your time today i appreciate you
1: you're welcome. Thank you so much. It was such a great conversation. You know, I think that when you talk about your kids and people in other countries, like we can learn so much about the cultures of, of from, from, you know, outside of North America and, and mm-hmm. really learn so much from each other. And, and and I agree with you, it's it's been really hard for organizations I think to put their people first and not their customers. And, yeah. and I that's you know one thing I would always challenge organizations if if you are an organization making those decisions to really ask yourself why your priority has always been on your client um, because I think that if you put your people first your clients will actually get better outcomes because your people will go all in and as a natural outcome of that your customer experience will, will be better than it is now so if from a business perspective it even makes sense to do that but I think that that's a hard place for people to get to to actually say our, P- our our customers are not our top priority our people are that's, that's a hard thing for yeah. organizations to past so I, I thank you um, for bringing that up because I think it's a really important part in us being able to move forward and grow.
0: Awesome thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my podcast today. If you have any questions, email me at Lua, L-U-A, at Level Up by Doc Leland. Doc Leland spells D-O-C-L-E-Y-L-A-N-D dot com. Lua by Doc is open for consultations and courses will be offered soon. I will see you in the next episode. Stay connected, informed, and inspired. Until next time.